I'll just be up here humming a song. Good morning, North Boulevard. Glad you're here. Those of you online, thanks for coming. I love you guys and I'm glad to see you. I know some of you in Texas, uh, you had a really, really rough week last week. Actually, I don't think I realized how bad it was until I spent a little time with some Texans last week and just found out the Lord's going to deliver us all. In fact, uh, He's going to give us a great blessing out of the year 2020, out of the pandemic, and out of all that we've been through. Already, I'm tasting many of the blessings that the Lord has in store for us. And um, man, I'm glad to be with you. I really love this church. So, I'm working on a project designed to help us um, stand firm in the face of what I think is a coming storm uh, against the Christian faith in North America. As part of that, I've been interviewing people who have uh, grown up as minorities in a hostile community, um, individuals from uh, communist countries, Marxist countries, uh, individuals who are, are Christians living in Muslim, predominantly Muslim countries and Hindu countries. And by the way, um, as I do the interviews, I've probably done about 20 of them now. I'm, I'm learning so much, but I'm also, at times, it's so heavy on my heart to hear what so many have been through. But the amazing thing is that in every single one of these interviews, I find the person I'm interviewing filled with joy. I mean, they're like the happiest people I know. So just yesterday, I interviewed Roy. I don't want to say his last name. Everything's out on the internet now. Roy is a church planter, disciple maker. I've known him for several years. He's in Chennai, India. It's on the west coast of India. It's a city of about 7 million people. Roy, by the way, is 41 years old. He's already planted 79 churches, if you can imagine that. And I've known Roy, and I've actually seen this on his body, so I didn't ask him to show me again yesterday. We were doing a Zoom interview, but he made reference to it. Some of Roy's knuckles are out of line. And he has gashes and knots all up both of his arms. You know why? They're defensive wounds. Because on multiple occasions, Roy has been assaulted, beaten for preaching the gospel. I did ask him yesterday, I said, so many times, he said many times, I, haven't, I can't count. He's been in prison many times. This is in India. He began to tell me some of his story. I don't even want to go into all of it. Now, actually, I think I will at some point. His sister was kidnapped about 12 years ago, and I, I can't go into all the details. You don't want me to. But for about a year, they couldn't find her. When she finally came back, by the way, she was pregnant. And uh, they, they said, we, we don't end anybody's life. We don't end anybody's life. So she gave birth. She's actually now a children's minister in the group of churches they serve. But as Roy was talking, I said to him, look... I mean, he doesn't even have full use of his hands, a 41-year-old man. I said, but Roy, look how happy you are. Like, you're, he's smiling and grinning and laughing the whole time. And he says, it's such a joy to get to be like Jesus. There's an amazing thing that comes from gratitude, that he's grateful, as are so many of the others I've interviewed grateful that God would share Himself with them. And it makes me just remember how important it is that we learn gratitude. Now, the Bible connects gratitude, thanksgiving if you will, to joy and worship. In fact, the progression is something like this. We express 
thanks to God in worship and it produces joy. Here's just one text out of Psalm 95 where thanksgiving and worship come together. And the opposite is also true, which is ingratitude produces misery. I just want to make sure you hear that. Ingratitude in your heart will produce misery. So Paul builds an entire theology on this in Romans chapter 1. At the end of Romans chapter 1, Paul lists all the crimes and misdemeanors that humans can be guilty of. It's a very long list of sins, rebellious sins. But he describes beginning at verse 21 how you got to those sins. And I want you to notice, he says, so I didn't put the whole text up here, but in verse 18, Paul says, look, everybody ought to know there's a God. That's not rocket science. God's fingerprints are all over the universe. So then he says, beginning at verse 21, that you don't have an excuse not to know God. So he says, speaking about the pagans around him, he says, these pagans, though they knew God, they didn't glorify him. And notice this, they did not say thank you. And the fact that they were ungrateful led to all the sins that he concludes the chapter with. So he says, they start out by being ungrateful. From here, their thinking becomes futile. After futility becomes darkened hearts. And he says, though they think they're wise, they're nothing but fools. He keeps going. Verse 24, because they are fools, God gave them over to the desires of their hearts. What did they do? They degrade their bodies. So he's about to talk about sexual sin in this text. And he says, they're degrading their bodies. And what happens? They exchange the truth about God for a lie. Where did it all start? Where did it start? Where did it start in this text? He says, it started when they were ungrateful. Ingratitude. I can't help but think that some of the problem America faces, Antifa, it is a, a, a life of ingratitude, a life that just says, you know, everything is not the way it ought to be, and I can't be happy until everything is perfect. And Paul just wants you to know that's where all our ills begin. This is a grateful church. And I'm not going to slap you around suggesting that you're ungrateful. Actually, it, so you would think I would say this. Even if you fire me, I'm going to say this. This is the best church I know of. A grateful group of people. Guys, I don't know if y'all noticed just how awesome things are right now. Matt, we've been through a pandemic. We've been through uh, the unrest of the past year, the, uh, a terrible, dreadful election cycle. Um, We've suffered from people losing their job. North Boulevard has lost five members to COVID. It's been a tough year. And in all of that, look what you did. You stayed united. I'm not suggesting it's over, but I am seeing some sunlight on the horizon. 50 million people have been vaccinated. We've got a new vaccination out. We may be three or four months from 100, 150 million people being vaccinated. I'm told that the mayor of Rutherford County is preparing to lift the mask mandate, assuming things don't go worse in the next couple of uh, weeks. So we're in Rutherford County, the, the campus, the main campus here is in Rutherford County. But I am just suggesting in the middle of all that, you didn't divide. We have members who are members of this church now who are members because their church went out of business during the pandemic. You didn't just not divide. Y'all know we've grown. We, we, our average attendance is up by 400 people since the pandemic. We have, we, last year, we baptized 70 people here at this campus, 70 people, and planted 70 churches in the middle of a pandemic. 
I'm just saying. The contribution, I, I don't mean to be bragging. If you hear me to be bragging, all I'm saying is, look what God has done for us. We're about to say, be grateful. Let me just tell you a few things to be grateful for. Our contribution is out the roof. I don't know what's motivating y'all. You, you're giving like I've never seen before. Like these are, God's just been so amazing. And I just want us to pause and say, there's going to be a day we're going to look in our rearview mirror, we're going to see the pandemic, and we're going to say, now I know what God was doing. We have 150 small groups at North Boulevard. 150. We got members all over the country now. Somehow, God has said, I'm going to smile on you in the middle of this. And it's reason for gratitude. If you want to claim some joy... Express some gratitude. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, what, you know, what, how do I get over my ingratitude? It's simple. This is what Deuteronomy 8 is going to say. That the antidote to ingratitude is worship. You didn't see that coming, did you? The antidote to ingratitude is worship. Because when I express my praise to God, it makes my heart happy. It makes me grateful. You see, we often think it works the other way around. We think I have to feel grateful first and then I can worship. No. So many times our bodies create the emotions we want. You think about it in sports. So in sports, you're playing basketball, you do this before your free throw three or four times. What are you doing? Your body is getting you into a, an emotional state. You play tennis, you swing the racket back and forth. What are you doing? You're letting your body get into an emotional state. When we worship God, the very act of singing our praises, of saying thank you, God, of offering our prayers, using our bodies in service to God, the very act of doing it changes our emotional state. It creates the gratitude. It creates the joy. That's why worship is the antidote to ingratitude. And so, Deuteronomy chapter 8, the shortest chapter we're going to get. Therefore, I don't have to race through reading the text, as some of you have noted I've done in the past. In this text, the middle of the, middle of the first part, I should say, of the second sermon Moses preaches. Deuteronomy is nothing but three sermons. This is the second sermon. They're about to cross into the land of promise. And Moses says to them, now when you get there, it's going to be fantastic. But don't forget where all these blessings came from. Don't forget it. Instead, when you're enjoying houses you didn't build, vineyards you didn't plant, cities whose architects preceded you, when you're enjoying fruit from trees you didn't plant, praise God for it. Let's read the text and see what he has to say to us. Be careful to follow every command, Moses says, I'm giving you today, verse 1, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you. By the way, he's just going to say, remember, I took care of you. I'm the one who got you here. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness those 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. By the way, you recognize that text. That's because Jesus quoted that text. I told you Deuteronomy was Jesus' favorite book. Your clothes did not wear out. 
your feet did not swell during those 40 years. I just want to say, we're going to get through this pandemic. We're going to get through these hard times. I mean, the, the sun is cresting over the horizon, and we're going to look back, and we're going to be able to say, he carried us the whole way. That's what you're going to be able to say. He carried us the whole way. He carried us because he loved us. Our clothes didn't wear out and our feet didn't swell. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. So he wants us to know that the hardships we go through are a form of discipline that God intended to humble us. And I just want to say, have I ever spanked your child? I can safely say, no, I've never spanked a single one of your children. Well, except for one. I spanked Julie's two children. One of them I spanked once in its whole life. The other one I spanked probably about 500 times more than that. <laughs> you know why I didn't spank your child? Because they're not my child. You know why I did spank my children? One of them once and the other one hundreds of times because I love them. That's why I did it. And I don't mind telling you, I did, I spanked Rachel one time her whole life. And when it was over with, I, th I cried more than she did. I didn't so much with Jonathan for some reason, but um, <laughs> you know what? It never was easy. I didn't do it because it was fun or because I wanted to or because I liked it. I did it because I cared about them. You discipline people you love. So the hardships we've gone through, the suffering we've gone through, guys, it's a form of God's discipline. We're going to get some crazy blessing out of this. It's a form of discipline. I can already see many of the blessings. Who would have thought we'd have an online campus and our attendance would go up? Who would have thought we would end up with 150 plus small groups? Who would have thought that the work of God would march on right through the middle of a pandemic, that we would love one another? We had a couple at first service this morning at the 8 o'clock service. Haven't been here in 52 weeks. And this is an older couple. They stood there, I want to hug you so bad, David, that's what they were saying. And I was like, me too, I'm okay, I'm okay with it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm the slobbery kiss guy, I'm okay with it. But just the thought of, we, we made it, we hung together. God's disciplining us a hundred times, I've found in the Bible. A hundred times there's a plague, a pestilence, some sort of pandemic. And all 100 save one, the Bible says God sent it. I didn't want to say that too hard early on because we weren't ready to hear it. But looking back on it, I expect God wanted to do something for the American church. He's preparing us for something. He's disciplining us. And so that's what he says. I take care of you, but I also discipline you. So he says, observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and reviewing him. And then three of my favorite verses in Deuteronomy, three of my favorites start at verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. Listen to how he describes the land of Israel, the land of promise. A land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and the hills. A land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey. A land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. So I don't know what you think about Israel, what images you have seen of Israel. Many of us have just seen the newsreels that make it look like a, you know, terrible place to be. It's a beautiful land. And that's what God is saying. It's a lush land. It's a land where 
It's a land that's so productive. It's a land that has so much opportunity, a land of great beauty, the land of promise, he says, a land that has everything from deserts to snow-capped mountains, all in a land half the size of Middle Tennessee. He says, look, when you get there, you're going to be able to dig copper out of the hills. This is an old copper mine in the southern part of Israel. Bronze was the prominent technology of Moses' day. He also says in the hills you're going to find iron. Iron was the newest technology, just started when Moses was preaching this sermon. Iron revolutionized the world in the same way that Steve Jobs revolutionized our world. He also says there are going to be springs coming out of the sides of the mountains. This is Gideon's spring. Comes out right here out of the foot of one of the mountains there. Ein Herod, they call it. By the way, if you lived in the flatlands of Egypt, as the Israelites did for several centuries, you would never seen a mountain and never seen a spring. So that's the beauty of the comet. He's like, you're not going to believe this, but there's water coming out of the rocks when you get there. This is Ein Gedi, by the way. It's the uh, oasis of, of King David where he hid from Saul. It's a beautiful waterfall coming out of the, in an oasis in the middle of the desert. And he says, there's going to be lush fruit everywhere, the sensual pomegranate. He says, there it is. It's a beautiful fruit. There are going to be olive trees all over Israel, an olive tree here. This olive tree is over 1,200 years old, still producing olives. Fig trees. You're going to make fig cakes with them. They're sweet. They're luscious. They're energy packed. Then he says they're going to be the dates. You're going to have some hot dates when you get there, he says. In fact, the dates in Israel, which are called the medjool dates, they are the best dates in the world. You need to eat a medjool date one day in your life. They're the best dates. Big, very juicy. In fact, what they do in Israel is they take these medjool dates, which are grown mostly down in the Jericho area, and they squeeze them and they produce a molasses out of them. And this is a jar, by the way. This is one of the most common ones, the Kinneret dates. This molasses is called honey in Israel. So when he says, I'm taking to a land flowing with milk and honey, this may well be the honey that God is referring to. So many dates you'll have molasses in every meal. You may not realize how much Americans now eat sugar, sugary things. And most of the world never tasted sweet. They never had sweet. Most of the world never tasted a sweet thing. But not in Israel. He says it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, some of the milk came from cattle, but more commonly for Israel, the milk came from goats. This is a goat, the one on the left, and it's a source, a source of much of Israel's milk. And if you think to yourself, goat's milk, goat's milk, have you ever had feta cheese, goat's cheese? Oh my goodness, it puts cattle, cow cheese, it puts it. It makes it not taste so good. I just lost that, lost that turn. It puts it to shame. Yeah, so in fact, we just ate uh, the other day at um, Jason's Deli, and they have a whole, they had a whole bowl of feta cheese. When I started on the salad line, by the time I ended the salad line, there was no feta cheese left. And like, I can just make a whole meal out of it. What he's saying is, I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a land that has grapes everywhere. You're going to squeeze the grapes and drink the juice. In fact, if you remember, several weeks ago, I explained to you our logo. God says to Moses, send the spies up. When the spies go up to a valley called Eshkol, which means, by the way, grapevine, when they go up to Eshkol, they find a cluster of grapes so large it takes two guys to put the cluster on a stick and carry it back between their shoulders. That's 
the beauty God has promised in this land, the spice markets, the grain fields, there are, they grow the lentils, they grow the chickpeas, they grow wheat, they grow barley. In fact, the wheat bread that is cooked over the open fire by the Bedouins is the best bread you'll ever put in your mouth. What am I, what's the point? The point God is saying is this, I'm going to give you something awesome. I'm going to give you something awesome. Now, what's the risk? You want to know what the risk is? The risk is you're going to forget who gave it to you. When you've eaten and are satisfied, verse 10, praise the Lord for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when, you, uh, when, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of a land of slavery. He led you through a vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land. With his venomous snakes and scorpions, he brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known to humble and test you. So in the end, it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power, my strength of my hands produce this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. And then he ends with a warning, as we will. If you ever forget the Lord, your God, and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today, you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you'll be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. Can I venture just a, a theory? I may be wrong on this. My theory is that America's forgetting its God. And we're bowing down before pagan gods. And hence all the discontent in America. Rather than celebrating all the things God has laid down at our feet. Do you know, do you know why we have an immigrant problem in America? You know why we have a problem? Because the whole world is banging at our door to live here. That's how good the country is. It's so good that we have to build walls. What I'm suggesting is, rather than always looking at it and saying how terrible it is, how ugly it is, why not occasionally pause and say, thank you, God, that I live in a country of democracy, a country where we can do something about our future, a country where we know we've done wrong, we try to make it right. I'm just suggesting this text reminds us all the good things we have, they came from our God. If we're ungrateful, we will surely be unhappy. And eventually, we will be destructive. So let me put it like this. The antidote to ingratitude is worship. That's what verse 10 says. When you get to the land, praise God for all that he's done for you. Now, let me talk about worship for half a second. Our English word worship comes from an old word that simply means to tell someone their worth. And I want to make sure you understand, there are not five ways to worship God. The teaching that there are five, five acts of worship is an unbiblical teaching. And it's so, it's so limiting. 
The idea that there's only five things I can do to worship my God, I mean, that's, that's so limiting. There are millions of acts of worship, millions of things I could do. Anytime I do something to express the worth of my God, I'm worshiping God. And I should fill my life with it. My concern is if we say that worship is what we do on Sunday, there's only five things you can do. Guess what I just told you? I just told you Monday through Saturday, you don't have to worry about it. God doesn't say to Israel on the Sabbath day, on Shabbat, on that day, I want you to praise me. No, he wants them to be living sacrifices, as Paul says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, where he says, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. That's your worship service. I just want to make sure we understand God's calling me to live a whole life of worship. A whole life of worship. Now, if that's worship, praise, praise is a species of worship. So praise literally means to put a price on something. Those two words, praise and price, are etymologically connected. But I want you to know something. You don't praise God until you say it. Praise doesn't occur until you say it. So in the Bible, it's not just a feeling, it's a feeling that's expressed. So if you're thankful to God, but you don't say thank you, you did praise. Let me say that again. If you're thankful and you don't say it, you didn't praise yet. Because praise is the actual expression of gratitude, not just feeling grateful. I hope you feel it. I hope you feel grateful. But you need to say it. You need to remind yourself that when you speak it, it happens. When you do it, it happens. When you think it, nothing happens. You're just sitting there. I want to challenge you. Look around you at what God has done for you, what he's done for us. And don't just feel gratitude, say it, speak it. And it raises the question for me, why is it hard for some of us to speak our praise? One of the great blessings that I've enjoyed in the last 10 years or so is a very close relationship with charismatic and Pentecostal churches. And they're exploding around the world, by the way. And, uh, and I have learned so much from Pentecostals and charismatics. I've learned a lot. I've learned they help me open my eyes. If you know Pentecostals and charismatics, what you'll know about many of them, at least, is that they're very expressive in their praise to God. So they say, praise the Lord, you know, every, every hour or so. It's praise the Lord for this. Oh, praise God for that. And there are times that I'm embarrassed that I didn't learn that. I wasn't socialized to, think, to say it, much less to think it. I don't even think it half the time. So I told you this story, but I took a group of Koreans down to Savage Gulf one time, where Stone Door is, down to the canyon in Grundy County. So it's a beautiful canyon here in about an hour and a half from, from Murfreesboro. These guys were charismatic from, from Assemblies of God. We go down there, and I'm like so excited because I've, I've done a lot of camping at, at Savage Gulf, and I know the rock formations, the top, the top layer, about the top, probably the top 400 feet is sandstone. It's Permian sandstone. Below that is Artivision limestone. And there's a whole lot, I mean, the fossils tell a great story and so forth. So we get to the canyon, and I'm getting ready to tell them about the sandstone, how, why is the sandstone on top and the limestone? I got this whole thing. You know, I'm like this, the, I'm like the a geologist about to be born. And we get there, and one of the teenagers says, can we praise God first? And I was like, no, because I've got a speech I want to give about geology. <laughs> Just hold off on your worship. I got something more important than that. I mean, it put me to shame, but I never forgot it. Like, why is it that their first instinct is to praise God? My first instinct is to spend some time up here in my head. I just want to say, it might be hard for some of us because we have a head religion instead of a heart religion. 
Hey, I'm for the head and the heart, but don't go all head on me. Do some heart too. Sometimes it's okay to feel something. People tell me, you know, that sermon was so good, I almost said amen. Almost say it. I don't care. Just say it. Thank you. You can say it at home. It's like the guy that said to me, I love my wife so much, I almost told her the other day. Like, what? For some of us, we measure life by what's wrong rather than what's right. So this is an affliction that so-called perfectionists, who tend to be pretty imperfect, by the way, so-called perfectionists have this like, we can't be happy because it's not perfect yet. This is the problem with American progressivism. I'm sorry I keep saying that, but it is. They just keep measuring by the way they think it ought to be instead of being grateful for what we have. It's a great world. It's not a bad place. Sometimes we just won't let ourselves celebrate. How about this one? Some of us are just spiritual introverts, and churches of Christ tend to attract spiritual introverts. It's just so uncomfortable to praise God, please do I have to. I mean, not here, but I've been at churches where it's like during the singing, they're looking over side to see if anybody notices whether they're singing or not. And by the way, I just want you to know, like when, when I'm up here and we're singing, like I can see when you're not singing. You know that. You know how you can see me? I can see you too. <laughs> like I can see it's like, hey, don't be so introverted. Just let it, let it out. You can go back to the little introvert just a few minutes later. How about this one? We don't have good role models. We often don't have good role models who just showed us it's okay to praise God. Sometimes we fail to understand the power of praise. I just think we fail to understand the power of praise. So I'm going to get to it. Uh, so here's what I want to say. The power of worship. I'm just going to read it. We'll be done. Worship focuses our minds on God because you see what you look at. And when you're praising God, you're looking at God. So you see God. In praise, it takes our minds off ourselves, our hurts, and our problems. So some of you have gone online today. It was not a good day yesterday. It's been a bad week. It's a bad morning, whatever. And all of a sudden, your spirits are lifted. Some of you who are present at this campus at this hour, you came here. You didn't want to come here. You were, your spirits are down. And we started that song and we sang, blessed be the name of the Lord. And did you notice what happened to your spirits? They went up. This past week, John Baker, the founder of Celebrate Recovery, passed away. John Baker changed the world out of Saddleback, California. 20,000 CRs, last time I heard the number, 20,000. You know the brilliance of Celebrate Recovery? It's a 12-step program. You know the brilliance? You go to CR, what's the first thing you do at CR besides eat? You worship. Because he understands that when you are praising God, you're no longer focused on your habits, your hurts, and your hang-ups. Worship teaches us through experience. We, we reenact the things of God, not just our words. So it recreates sacred events, enabling us to relive them. It moves our emotions, and mo emotions oftentimes motivate our decisions. It links us to the past. Every time you praise God, you're linking yourself back to a chain of people. It goes all the way back to Moses, the book of Deuteronomy. In worship, we hand the truths of God down to our children. That's why so we sing a lot of new songs at North Boulevard, and that's what we need to do because we're trying to reach a new generation. I don't want us to change that. But I have to admit, sometimes we sing a song that takes me back to my childhood, and I get all choked up because I remember the people who handed their faith to me and how loyal they were to me and how much I want to be loyal now to my children as well. In worship and praise, we do this.
And worship links us to other people in unity, strength, and encouragement. So I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you just to experience a moment of praise. Let me say this. At the beginning of the year, I challenge you to come up with two or three areas in which you think you should grow in obedience in 2021. Remember that? I ask you to write down a couple of things, areas where you want to grow in your obedience in 2021. Do you know that if you praise God, it will help you achieve that obedience? Because when you start praising God, it will turn your attention back to God. And I don't want you just to hear about it. I want you to have a little taste of it. So here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to, to speak your praise. It's just like one sentence. But I'm asking you at home to do this. Here at, at, at the East Campus, I'm asking you to do this. I praise you, God, for. Just say that with me first. I praise you, God, for. Everybody say that. Say it at home. I praise you, God, for. Say it just a little bit louder. I praise you, God, for. Now, fill in the blanks. What do you want to say praise God for? Hold it. Just think of it. Get it up. I don't mind telling you. I praise my God for my daughter and my son. You know, we had, every, we had the same experience as everybody else had raising kids. It wasn't like always streets of gold for us. But through thick and thin, God has given me fantastic children. I don't just adore them. I admire my kids. I respect, I admire them. They teach me. I could, I could tell you, so I want to praise God. Now, so many of you are little introverts. You have little introvert hearts. And your little introvert heart is terrified of what I'm about to do. Can I just ask you to do something? Will you just tell the little introvert, calm down, peace my soul. For just a second, I'm going to speak out a word of praise, and then I can go back to being introverted. Will you do that for just a second? I praise you, God, for Jonathan and Rachel. What's yours? Will you say it with me? Say it out loud. Say it out loud. I praise you, God, for Jonathan and Rachel. What's yours? Say it back with me. Let's try it one more time. I just want you to speak it up. You got a mask on. Nobody can hear you anyway. <laughs> you little introvert. That mask was the best thing ever happened to you, wasn't it, you little introvert? <laughs> it just suits your personality type. Say it with me. I praise you, God, for Jonathan and Rachel. This is what God does. He changes our hearts through worship. If you want the antidote to gratitude, worship God and he'll change your heart. As Miss Julie says, a grateful heart is a happy heart. It really works. Here's a song that'll demonstrate it. Come up, Sean. See if just you can hear or you can sing, it's up to you. Hearing or singing, this old classic hymn doesn't change your emotional state. Oh Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder Consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars and I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, 
my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. And when I think that God his Son not sparing sent him to die, I scarce can take it in that on the cross my burden gladly bearing he bled and died to take away my sin then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou art then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou sing that together? Let's stand up. If you're online, we have a tab you can click. If you're a male, you go this way. If you're female, go this way, and somebody will pray with you. Right here, those of you who are present, if you want us to pray for you, intercede for you, just minister to you, just want a little loving, go back to the back when we sing this last verse. Somebody be back there. I just see someone going back right now to be back there and to be there for you. Guys, a grateful heart turns out to be really joyful hearts. And the way to express gratitude, the way to cultivate gratitude is by praising the Lord our God. He has been good to us. Let's say thank you to Him.